Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of First Christian Church of St. Paul, located in Roseville, Minnesota. We are a congregation of Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, a congregation that is united in Christ for the sake of the world. Join us for worship in person or via our live stream Sundays at 11 a.m. You can learn more about us by going to FCCStPaul.org. Here is this week's sermon. So our text this morning comes from two places. The first is from John, the uh, Gospel of John, uh, chapter one, verses twenty-nine through forty-two, and then Isaiah forty-nine, verses one through seven. And you can follow along in your bulletins. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, "Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." This is he of, he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me before, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water to baptize his water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and, may, and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus returned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to, to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You are called to be Cephas, which is translated Peter. And now from Isaiah. Listen to me, O coastlands, pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hit me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hit me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord, my reward with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I, have honored, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel? I will give you as a light to the nations and that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, 
to one who is deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers, kings shall see and stand up princes, and they shall prostrate themselves. Because the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. about 10 or 15 years ago that I was actually not too far from here. I was at Roseville, um, Rosedale Mall, and I was at the Apple Store. I was purchasing a new laptop. So I got the laptop, and I was with my husband, Daniel, and we were walking out of the store and then down um, back to the exit. And all of a sudden, this guy shows up, and he starts to walk with us. And he, at, at some point, turns around and immediately asks us if we know Jesus. Well, I was really flabbergasted because I was kind of like, I didn't know what to say. But Daniel, who is a preacher's kid uh, and Lutheran to the core, immediately turned around and I remember him saying something to the effect that he knew that he was a child of God because he had been baptized and, and remembered that all, all of the stuff that he remembered from his confirmation, he had it down pat. Now it was the other guy who was flabbergasted. And he realized that we were both Christians, said goodbye, and walked away. Now, that is, to me, a sign of what, if people are trying to figure out what evangelism is, sometimes people will say that that's what it is. And especially in a lot of mainline Protestant churches such as ours, there is a fear, if not an outright dislike of evangelism, probably because of examples such as that, which I would be very, I would say basically is, how not to do evangelism. But it is so such a fraught thing because of bad experiences or things that we have seen. I remember years ago, the United Church of Christ had a campaign to try to get people to evangelize more, but they also knew the challenge, and they actually, the, it, they kind of called the campaign the E-word because it was that word that people were so afraid to deal with. Now, as I said, part of the reticence about sharing our faith is because of what I saw in that gentleman. He didn't really know who we were. He didn't have a relationship with us. He simply just walked up to us and is hitting us with this question. And maybe he thought he was doing a good thing, and probably he was, that's what he was taught. And you probably know that probably he was very sincere in his own belief. But it came across as very rude. And I think in some ways it did damage to his witness because it didn't help, uh, help him or help us want to know more if we weren't Christians to know more about Jesus. 
Now, it would be easy for me to say that it's just wrong to proselytize or to share the good news. And there have been pastors who say this, citing how people have used evangelism and how it has been abused. And I think that those criticisms are valid. We shouldn't ignore that people have used the gospel to manipulate people or has been spread in ways that have not been helpful. However, we are still called to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is found in scripture. All you have to do is open the book of Acts and it shows how the early church spreads by going from, out from Jerusalem to sharing the good news with people. So we are called to share the good news. We are called to share the gospel, which is Jesus Christ. But there are ways that honor what God is calling us to do, and there are ways that do not. So in our text, in the gospel, who we hear initially speaking is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is with his disciples. Jesus is walking by. And he immediately tells his followers that this is the Lamb of God who is taking away the sin of the world. And he recounts the experience of baptizing Jesus. And we talked about this last week, that he didn't know before this that this was the Lamb of God. But it was through this experience that he realized who Jesus was. And the next day, he walks by again. He says basically the same thing. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But this time, two of the disciples were fascinated. They were, they were curious. And so they walk up to Jesus, and the two ask where Jesus was staying. Now, they were not asking what hotel he was staying at or who he was staying at. They, in the Greek, what that means is, where does he belong? Which might be another way of saying, who are you? They had just heard that Jesus is the Lamb of God, and they were curious. Who was Jesus? Where did Jesus belong? And Jesus, as he is wont to do, doesn't directly answer the question. He simply says, come and see. And that's what the two disciples did. They spent the evening with Jesus. And we know that Jesus must have done something right because the next day they go and tell two others of their experiences. One of them is Peter, who would become one of Jesus' closest disciples. John, and later those two disciples, were witnesses to Jesus. And they went, after that experience, to tell others. And this is what evangelism is all about. It is not trying to ambush people and tell them if they know Jesus, but it is about sharing what God has done in their lives. What John was doing when he told, his, told the, the disciples about who Jesus was, but he shared the experience that he had 
seeing the dove come down from heaven and the voice of God and witnessing to that. The two disciples shared what their experience of meeting that with Jesus was all about, and they shared that with others. Evangelism is about creating relationships. It is about being a witness to the grace and to the justice of God. This week I read an article in the Anglican Journal, which is the journal for the Anglican Church of Canada. And it's talking about decline in that denomination, which is very similar to what is happening in a lot of mainline Protestant denominations here in the United States as well. One of their bishops um, had said that one of the problems with the Anglican Church, and I would say with many churches, is that they've had for a long time a philosophy of build it and they will come. And that was a way and, and a method that, that really actually worked in the 1950s, 1960s, and, but it doesn't really work today. There have been a lot of church closures, what they call deconsecrations, especially focused in Toronto, but other parts of Ontario. But it was interesting that there was also an undercurrent of growth. There were some congregations that were actually growing and not declining. So what was happening at those parishes as opposed to the others? Well, Anglican priest did a doctoral thesis where he went and looked into what was going on. He looked at these churches, and the difference was evangelism through relationships. The churches that died were ones that really didn't form new relationships outside of the walls of the church. The priest who was doing this had this to say about those churches, and he says, quote, the most difficult fact I see in the autopsy of a dead church is when you ask the question, what did you do in the last few years to form new relationships? Often that's when you hear a lot of silence. Of course, it's hard for us to be a church of our size. It's easy to look around and see and think and see that we don't have the resources to be an effective witness of Jesus Christ. It's easy to circle the wagons, look inward out of fear that we aren't enough to do what God is calling us to do. And it matters that churches, that congregations be witnesses to the good news of Jesus Christ. Congregations, like us, really are witnesses to the kingdom of God. But we have to also be honest that it is hard to be the good news these days, especially after COVID, especially when many people, because of the kind of pandemic and the lockdown, basically stop being involved in the day-to-day -day part of church. You know, the passage in Isaiah talks about how the prophet was called to be a messenger of God. But the prophet kind of felt like 
he had a case of the imposter syndrome. He says, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. But then God tells him, God is with him, and that he has a special mission. He might think that what he is doing won't make any difference, but God says that he will be a light to the nations. This congregation might not seem to have all the resources that it needs, but I believe that God is saying, well, what God is saying to the prophet is what God says to us. We have God, and that is enough. We can go and create relationships and forge new ministries with the community around us, telling others how God is active in our lives because God has got us. We aren't alone. One thing that I want to add is that I happen to love that Jesus told his future disciples, come and see. He didn't spell everything out for them, but invited them to learn more. And I think that that's what evangelism is all about. It's about piquing people's curiosity more than it is about being right. The Reverend Graham Bocock, he is the one that did the study I just talked about, um, has something interesting going on in his own life, or did. In 2013, he became the priest of St. Anne's, which was a church that basically was reconstituted. It had actually closed five years before, but a small gathering of folk wanted to try again. And he says the following about his congregation. The premise was, what if we have no money? Maybe you start off with next to no people. Can you grow something bigger out of nothing? And we found out that, yeah, you can, says Bocott. In two years, he said, they turned from six very miserable Anglicans who had experienced the scarcity model of the church into a congregation of 55 who were there on regularity. Now, he was bivocational, or is bivocational, so he could not be there all the time. But what that meant was is that lay leaders took charge. They took charge in doing things like renovating the building and fostering relationships with people in the community. A lot of the money and resources, surprisingly, did not come from that congregation. It didn't even come from the Anglican church itself. It came from the surrounding community, the one that this little church decided to create relationships with. He says that strategy of community engagement was born out of resolve among the lay leaders to focus the church on rediscovering what it meant to be followers of Jesus. And he also adds that there was also a bit of stubbornness in there. They had a bit of, you think you're, we're a dead church? We'll prove you wrong. But he says and concludes that they had a good, healthy dose of spite. People have written this, the epitaph of this congregation for quite some time. And I will be honest that there are times I wonder how long will we continue? But the thing is, we are still here. And I think that we are here for a reason. And that is 
to tell the good news of Jesus. And that is by fostering relationships outside of the walls of the church, also within the walls too, of the surrounding community. God is still sustaining this ministry, and not just monetarily, but through many resources. And God is inviting us to come and see, to learn more about what God is doing, and then to tell others to come and see. We are witnesses to the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And in this season of Epiphany, the season when we are called to make God's love visible in the person of Jesus, it's important that we can be a light to Roseville, to the Twin Cities, and to the world to show and illuminate the goodness and mercy of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. We hope this week's sermon was nourishment for your soul. If you would like to listen to past sermons, watch past worship services, leave a prayer request, or get directions to our worship location, please visit our website at fccstpaul.org. May God be with you on your daily journey.